Welcome back to Rockford Reading Daily. We are continuing to read Evicted, Poverty and Profit in the American City, a book written by Matthew Desmond. We are about two-thirds of the way through this book. We are beginning part three of this book, which is entitled After, and we are beginning chapter 17, which is entitled This is America. We will knock this whole chapter out in this episode, as we've been trying to do for most of these episodes throughout this book. I want to ask people to please share this a link to this episode, whether you're listening to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Pocket Cast, YouTube, Facebook. Share this, share a link on Twitter, share a link on Facebook, inbox somebody the link, share it on Snapchat, Instagram, wherever. Just share this, share this episode for us, please. Okay, had to give me a drink of water. And let's continue. <clears throat> Arlene was in the living room at 13th Street, shivering. She didn't have a winter coat, so she pulled on another t-shirt and an oversized hoodie. The Milwaukee weathermen had been working themselves up. They said it was going to be the coldest week in a decade, that the temperature could bottom out at 40 below with the windshield. The local news kept flashing a warning. Frostbite time, 10 minutes. People were urged to stay inside. Arlene had three days to find another apartment. Sharina was done with both Arlene and Crystal. The conversation with the Milwaukee PD had spooked her. She decided to have the sheriffs remove Arlene and deliver Crystal an eviction notice. Quote, I'm not going to be arrested because of those people over there. End quote, Sharina said. <clears throat> quote, I'm not going to have them take my property because of them. I'm tired of this shit. Arlene is being real selfish. She doesn't care about anybody else but her and her kids. She doesn't care about me. End quote. Sharina faxed a copy of Crystal's eviction notice to the Milwaukee PD. A few days later, she received a letter back. Quote, your written course of action is accepted. End quote. Arlene had made an appointment with the landlord and was waiting outside her apartment complex when the woman pulled up in a Subaru 30 minutes late. Tall and white in a North Face fleece and new tennis shoes, she rushed through an apology and introduced herself as Carol. Carol's apartment was a small and plain one-bedroom unit renting at $525 on the northern edge of the north side. It took Arlene all of 30 seconds to scan the place and say that she'd take it. She didn't like the apartment or the neighborhood or the fact that the boys would have to switch schools again if they moved there, but all that was secondary. Quote, it don't matter, end quote, she thought. Quote, a house is a house for now, end quote. Carol decided to screen Arlene on the spot. She sat down on the floor in the empty living room and asked Arlene to spell her name and provided her date of birth and social security number. Carol's first substantive question was, quote, have you been evicted in the last three years? End quote. I'm going to check CCAP, so you might as well get it out in the open. End quote. Arlene had given Carol her real name and wasn't sure which evictions were attached to it, so she decided to tell Carol what she had been through since being forced to move from the condemned house with no water. She told her about the drug dealers on Atkinson and her sister dying. This took a while. There were so many moves and so many details, and soon Carol's confusion turned to annoyance. She cut Arlene off and asked about her income. Quote, how long have you been on W-2 and what's the reason? End quote. Quote, they actually had me on W-2-T because, um, I go to counseling for depression. I go see my therapist once a week, and they have me doing a job search. They're trying to get me job ready, but they're also trying to get me to apply for SSI, end quote. Quote, better to not live on either, end quote, Carol said, telling Arlene to get a job. Quote, I know, end quote, Arlene said. 
Eileen fudged her income, telling Carol she actually received child support. And after Carol said, quote, we don't have any kids in this building, end quote, Eileen lied about her kids too, mentioning only Jafaris. Quote, I need to come see where you live now, end quote, Carol told Eileen. She says she stopped by 13th Street in a couple of hours. Back in her apartment, Eileen took out the trash and swept the carpet and hid all of Jory's clothes. There was little she could do about the bathroom. There was standing water in the clogged tub and the sink didn't work. But the light was also out, so maybe Carol wouldn't notice. In the kitchen, Arlene stood over the sink, staring at a pile of dishes. Little rubbed himself against her leg and meowed for food. They were out of dish soap, so Crystal's laundry detergent would have to do. As the water ran, Arlene placed both hands on either side of the sink. She scrubbed the pots. Her phone rang. Quote, it's nothing, end quote, she said to the person on the other line. Quote, nothing, nothing, end quote. Then she allowed herself a hard cry. Crystal who had stayed on the couch and watched Arlene frantically scurry around, got up and embraced Arlene. Arlene cried into Crystal's shoulder, and Crystal did not pull away. When Arlene stepped back, Crystal said, quote, I promise you, if you believe, you will have a house, end quote. The apartment looked decent when Carol showed up. Arlene had even sprayed for breeze. After a brisk walkthrough, Carol sat down at the glass dining table. Quote, this just... Honestly, does not look good, end quote, she began, quote, and yeah, I understand your sister died and everything, but how is that your landlord's problem, end quote, quote, I understand what you're saying, end quote, Eileen thought that white people liked it when she said, quote, I understand what you're saying, end quote, and quote, I'm trying to get my stuff together and stop making dumb choices, end quote, and quote, I'm going to start back to school for my GED, end quote. And eye contact. Lots of eye contact. Quote, I'm not saying it isn't terrible, end quote, Carol continued. Quote, but I mean, we actually have an employee whose mother died, and she had no insurance or anything. The county paid. You know, they give you $300 or whatever for the funeral, and that's the funeral she got, end quote. Eye contact. Quote, so what changes are you going to make so that, so that I'm not throwing you out in a month? End quote. Carol tapped her pen. At this point, Arlene had applied for, excuse me. At this point, Arlene had applied for or called on 25 apartments, and Carol was her only hope. Sensing that hope pulling away, Arlene played the only card left in her hand. She offered Carol the option of arranging a, quote, vendor payment, end quote, with W-2, which would automatically deduct rent from each month's check, quote, so that by the time I get my check, you already have your payment, end quote. Quote, I like that, end quote, Carol responded, surprising herself. Quote, that sounds like a good compromise, end quote. Then she added, quote, the cat can't come, end quote. Quote, okay, end quote. Quote, I was going to say, you got to worry about feeding you and your kid, end quote. Quote, I want to give you a hug because, let me just, end quote, Arlene hugged Carol, who blushed and dashed out the door. Arlene hugged Crystal and ran around and danced. Quote, I got a house. I can't believe it. I got a house. End quote. And then that brings us to a changing of the theme within this chapter. Hmm. And then I think just again, the desperation. It stands out as we read through this book. The regularly just 
everybody has. Excuse me. Sorry about that. Everyone that we have encountered has been on the edge of losing their home or has have lost their home or is just getting into a home after losing their home. And these these this sense of desperation that lingers over these people's heads in a constant perpetual cycle, you can see how it uh, alters their their psyche, how it alters their relationships with people, how it uh, alters that, you know, that you can see the stress levels increasing. And I just think those are all things that are that we have to have an understanding of when we begin to speak about some of these issues is the psychological wear and tear that this that these that these things have on the people that are enduring them. Carol told Arlene that she could move in the first of the month. Move in the excuse me. Carol told Arlene that she could move in the first of the month. Until then, Arlene planned to take her boys to a shelter and lock her things in storage. As a shelter resident, she would be eligible for Red Cross funds that would cover her security deposit. It was the only way she could give Carol all her money. Arlene collected cardboard boxes from neighborhood liquor stores and began packing her things. Quote, don't cry when I leave, end quote, Arlene told Crystal as she placed dishes in a box. Quote, bitch, you act like you're going to be gone forever. You're going to come around because you can't live without me now, end quote. Quote, and you can't live without me either, end quote, Arlene smiled. Crystal, be Crystal began clapping her hands and singing, quote, I ain't going, I ain't going, end quote. Then she slapped Arlene on the back. Quote, ow, Crystal, end quote, Arlene said. And the two women wrestled a bit, laughing. As Arlene resumed packing, Crystal asked, quote, could you leave me some dishes? End quote. Arlene set a few aside. <clears throat> At sunrise on Thursday, the sky was the color of flat beer. By mid-morning, it was the color of a robin's egg. The still and leafless tree branches looked like cracks in the sky's shell. Cars rolled slowly through the streets, caked with salt and winter's grime. Milwaukee Public Schools canceled classes because of the cold advisory. Arlene's boys weren't going anyway. She needed them to help her move. Jory loaded a U-Haul truck that a family friend had rented for them. The cold gripped him. His fingers and ears began to sting. Icy air filled his mouth and it felt like his gums were hardening into one of those plastic molds of teeth in the school's nurse office. His breath was a thick white gauze circling his face. He smiled through it, happy to be useful. After a few trips, Jory ate his pride and put on Crystal's sand-colored coat. Crystal herself sat on the floor, covered in church-donated blankets, eating banana pudding and watching talk shows. The night before the move, Arlene had glued on a new wig and cleaned her shoes, she wanted to look younger than she was because who knew who she might meet at the shelter or public storage. No shelters had called back, and Arlene didn't know where she and her boys would sleep that night. She would have to worry about that later. For now, she was focused on taking what she could to a storage unit. The man behind the counter at public storage wore a pink ring, wore a pinky ring. His hair was slicked back, and he smelled of liquor and cheap aftershave. Arlene's storage unit would be C-33, a 10 by 10 footer, quote, it's the same size as the truck you got, end quote, the man said with a Texas draw, quote, all you got to do is be creative, end quote. Everything fit easily. Arlene had scraped together $21 for the discounted fee by selling some food stamps and a space heater. Next month's fee would be 
but she didn't realize she had to buy a lock and $8 worth of insurance too. She didn't have it. The Texan whose weather-worn face told her that he had seen hard times too, found Arlene a lock and let her slide on the insurance. She thanked him before shuffling through the cold concrete, locked to close the orange aluminum door to C-33. At least her stuff had a home. They spent the night, then the weekend, back at 13th Street with Crystal, sleeping on the floor. Arlene called the lodge and other shelters, but they were full as usual. On Monday morning, she tried domestic violence shelters and secured a room at one she had stayed at years ago with Fleen Jafari's father. When Arlene called Carol to tell her the name of the shelter for Red Cross money purposes, she learned that Carol had rented the apartment to someone else. Arlene didn't ask why, but she figured Carol had found a better tenant Someone with, someone with more income or no kids. Arlene let out a long, emptied out sigh and balled herself up in a chair. Quote, I'm back to square one, end quote, she said. Soured, Arlene gathered their last remaining things in the apartment. She took down her, cur her curtains and remembered some dirty clothes that were in Crystal's closet. She and Jafaris brought Little upstairs to Trisha. Quote, take care of Kitten, end quote, Jafaris asked. Quote, I am, baby, I promise. End quote, Trisha answered. He thought and said, quote, give him some food, end quote. Arlene planned on leaving behind her love seat, which had collapsed since Crystal began sleeping on it. Besides that, in a scattering of clothes, blankets, and broken lamps, the place was barren. Then Arlene remembered that she had brought a $5 adapter that connected the stove to the gas line. She told Jory to remove the part, which would have rendered the stove useless. Seeing this, Crystal screamed, quote, Get out of my house, end quote. She began picking up Arlene's things and throwing them out of the front door. Quote, I don't need none of your shit. Got me fucked up, end quote. Quote, stinking ass bitch, end quote. Arlene yelled, getting in Crystal's face. Quote, you call me stinking, but whose clothes you got on? Mine's, my shirt. Three days in a row, you nasty bitch, end quote. Quote, I'll hit you in your mouth, end quote, Jory yelled at Crystal, running up. He put his nose inches away from Crystal's face and cocked his fist back. Quote, I'm fitting to scrap you, end quote, he yelled. Quote, I don't give a fuck about no fucking police, end quote. <clears throat> Suddenly, Quentin was in the room. He had been showing prospective tenants the re-apartment when he overheard the commotion. Quentin walked in the open door and grabbed Jory by the shirt collar. Quote, hey, hey. End quote, he barked. Jory lunged at Crystal. Quote, come on, end quote, he yelled, his fist flailing. Quentin tugged him back. Crystal only stepped closer. Quote, look, boy, end quote, she said, chuckling. Quote, you are not as hard as you think, end quote. Quote, no, no, end quote, Jafar's cried. Trying to be helpful, he had found a broken shower ride and was hitting Crystal with it. Arlene grabbed Jafar's and pulled him out the door. At Quentin's prodding, Jory moved in that direction, stopping to kick in Crystal's floor model television. As the family left, Crystal stepped onto the front porch and continued throwing their things everywhere. The front lawn was soon littered with random stuff. School books, a Precious Moments doll, a bottle of cologne. Quote, y'all ain't untouchable, end quote, Crystal was screaming. Quote, this is America. This is America, end quote. If Arlene hadn't been under so much pressure, she might have realized that removing the adapter was throwing Crystal's desperation in her face. Maybe she would have been able to defuse the situation. 
Under better circumstances, they could have been friends. They got on when there was food in their bellies and some certainty about the next day. But Eileen was in the press of the city, depleted. So when Crystal exploded, Eileen exploded right alongside her. Crystal could quickly turn violent. The year before she met Eileen, Crystal had been examined by a clinical psychologist who diagnosed her with bipolar disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, reactive attachment disorder, borderline intellectual functioning, neglect of a child, sexual abuse of a child as victim, and emerging personality disorder dynamics with borderline features. Her childhood had left the mark. Quote, Crystal was highly sensitive to anticipated rejection, abandonment, and harm in her relationships, end quote, the psychologist wrote in his report. She has immense, quote, she has immense underlying rage at significant others for their perceived unwillingness and or ability, inability to respond to her needs for nurturance, security, and esteem. She has limited ability to tolerate much in the way of frustration or anxiety and a proneness to act out her tensions without much forethought or deliberation. She is still seen as being fragilely integrated, end quote. The report surmised that Crystal had an IQ of about 70 and anticipated that she would need, quote, long-term mental health treatment and supportive assistance if she was to be maintained in the community as an adult, end quote. And yet there she stood alone in an empty apartment. Crystal picked through the things that Arlene had left behind. When she wandered into the kitchen, she discovered that Jory hadn't been able to remove the stove piece, but he did cut the electrical cord. Crystal told herself she wasn't planning on eating that day anyhow. Pastor had called a fast. And that brings us to the end of chapter 17, which was entitled This is America, and brings us to the beginning of chapter 18, which is entitled Lobster on Food Stamps. And let's have a small reflection before we end this episode. And so, again, we see how these, these emotions of desperation, these experiences of marginalization can combine together to lead to people having violent outbursts, to lead to people having these, uh, these, these moments of high tension. And, and it's not as if there is not, you know, every, every day in life, there are all types of moments and all types of uh, events that happen where there are there is high tension that is involved. One of the, but one of the differences that happens in inner cities and in areas of 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 have high concentrated crime is that those moments of tension or those events where they are, are that are packed with tension are more likely to become violent. Violence is something that is seen as a more of an outlet. These people who uh, experience most of their life feeling powerless when it comes to these type of situations. They feel that if they turn to a physical uh, mode of acting out their emotions, that they, they can uh, gain some power through through that outlet. And so we've seen throughout this book, all types of different experiences become verbally, become uh have we've seen all types of different experiences lead to verbal altercations and physical altercations. And I think one of the things also that's important to point out is that as you, as a young, you know, you see the, the young man, uh, Jory and Jafaris both were basically using violence uh, in an, in an effort to combat the situation that they were in. Of course, they felt like they were being protective of their mother, but the, the, 
the habit of continuing to go towards violence, the habit of continuing to call Crystal out of her name, all of these things begin to build up and it gets to a point where that's the only way that these young men will know how to express these emotions or how to express these feelings. And so you can see the path, the yellow brick road being laid out of them being caught up into the, the prison industrial complex and caught up into uh, the criminal justice system from just not from all from just just from being in these desperate situations, these marginalized situations over a repeated amount of time in their more more formidable years and how that can have a detriment to their psyche. And you see the the manifestation of that in Crystal. Some, you know, they listed off all of these diagnoses that she had and a lot of them stemmed from her upbringing and her childhood and the things she experienced then. And it got to a point where it was so much trauma she experienced that it, it overwhelmed her where now she has to constantly uh, receive some type of treatment or have some type of special attention paid to her because she has been so deeply traumatized by the things that took place in her childhood. And so you can see the the concept of hurt people hurting people. You can see that just playing out through all types of different facets as we continue to read through Evicted and continue to to learn about the experiences that these people are uh, are enduring. Okay, so we're going to wrap this episode up. We'll be back tomorrow to begin a new chapter. Please share this on whatever platform you're listening to it on. As I asked when we began reading this, when we began this episode, remember we put these episodes out on a daily basis to provide people the opportunity to begin or further their journey in the struggle against police terrorism, mass incarceration, and racial injustice. If there are future episodes out by the time you get to this episode, please listen to those. And if you have not listened to past episodes of Rock for Reading Daily, please go back and listen to those. And I will holler at you tomorrow.